Welcome back to another impactful night of the impact of the educational leadership. This is episode 100. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drunk Third. Tonight's panelist is the legendary and lovely Miss Nina Taylor. The lovely Miss Nina Taylor. Please say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. Hello. Well, I'm so excited tonight. Tonight's word for tonight is purpose. And what I mean by purpose, there is a purpose, not only for this conversation, but there is a purpose and a sense of purpose for this topic. This topic tonight is curriculum self-awareness in historically black colleges, universities. In 2018, nearly one-third of African-American students lived in poverty. That was 32% compared with 10% of white students and families living in poverty. The percentage of African-American students who lived in households where the highest level of education attained by either parents was a bachelor's or higher degree. And that was 27% compared with 69% of Asian students and 53% of white students. That's disproportionate. If we were to go back historically, we would we would read and we would understand and we would know that fighting for rights of African Americans led many abolitionists also to begin fighting for women's rights, which led to the women's rights movement. While primarily focused on the right to vote, the women's rights movement also fought for the right for women to own property, retain their earnings directly instead of going to their husbands. And participate in labor organizations was also key during the women's rights movement, which was also closely associated with abolition. The temperance movement and the reforming public education was the movement that started educating African-American children in the United States. One of the ways we can continue this fight because some are saying that we are losing ground in this area but we can start to gain back this ground by focusing on curriculum that's self aware with competency based education in our HBCUs By improving self-awareness in the curriculum, it's more than just developing an understanding of African-Americans' emotions and feelings, but it is helping us to stop the demoralization of the African-American culture. It is an awareness of the physical, emotional and psychological self 
which is vital to improving each student's cognitive and learning styles, which will prove for a much better society where we can live equally and inclusively in our different diversities. Tonight, we will have a discussion about curriculum self-awareness of HBCUs. And we had to pull back to this discussion because we believe this is a movement for our HBCUs to help us show the significance and the power of HBCU experience in the United States. That being said, Nina Taylor, please say hello again and tell the listener audience a little bit about you know why this is so much on your heart to do this movement about HBCUs. I, you know, when I was younger, uh, growing up in the inner city in Philadelphia, people didn't have purpose, you know. Their purpose was about a week long. Like, uh, what do you want to do in the future? Well, next week I want to go downtown and 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 buy some sneakers. Uh, that was about the extent of it. And I was kind of looked at funny because I had like a vision of not just from next week, but from you know growing up, being eighteen, being twenty, being thirty-eight. You know, I pretty much was planning out my whole life at twelve, thirteen years old, and everybody thought that was kind of weird, you know. It's like, uh, it's bad enough that you, they used to say that I spoke like white people. And I said, I don't speak like white people. I just try to speak correctly. You know, I always had to fight about the way I talked and, and things that I said. It was always a fight. Everything was always a fight. Um, the sense of purpose just, it just wasn't there. And when I go back to visit, even today, even here, 30 years later, I go back and visit. A lot of them are still living in the same place. And a lot of them are still doing pretty much the same thing they were doing 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I don't know what that is. You know, what happened to the the drive that my great grandfather had, you know, when he made sure that the majority of his 15 children went to college that was educated beyond high school and had some type of a trade? You know, what happened to that? Where did we lose that? As it relates to interest, and innovation as it relates to how you know this person improved not only the community that they lived in but the community far-reaching someone that was creative and and thinking and Mm -hmm. and and someone that had purpose because you mentioned purpose Mm -hmm. with that being said with that being said (laughs) (laughs) who are some of the of the black women educators that, that you have <laughs> oh I can't even answer the question because you already ready for this okay yeah. just quick go ahead <laughs> no 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 I said go ahead with the question you know the black educator I said there's so many that I admire go ahead go ahead right name some of the ones that you admire and why why you admire you so funny <laughs> well if you look back in history, you know, I love history. I love reading about the lives of people who came before us, who paved the way. Uh, Dr. Inez Beverly Prosser, have you ever heard of her? 
Yes, I have, but I want to hear what you have to say about her. Well, she was born, you know, on the latter part of the uh, of the last century, you know, after slavery in Texas, one of 11 children. And if you look back historically, a lot of our people came from families of 10 or more kids, you know, big, big families had to really struggle to make it. But she went on and just became everything, you know, um, she finished high school. She went to the Yoakum Colored High School, then Prairie, they called it Normal College back then, Prairie View Normal College. She was the valedictorian. After graduation, she began teaching. Now, you remember back in the day, like after um, the Civil War, the majority of the people who went to school went to school to mm-hmm. become teachers. Teachers. There were right. schools set up essentially to educate people to educate others you know by you becoming a teacher then you teach our children so that the next generation and the next one after that is educated a lot of them that was their sole purpose was to go to school to become teachers so they could further educate the next generation a lot of these colleges were set up primarily to educate people to become teachers isn't that amazing because they were thinking that far ahead to you know the next generation it's like we have we now have the right to educate ourselves and so we have to educate an entire generation of people to educate the next generation and i just admire them for that for thinking you know far ahead but this lady was one of the few african-american women who actually pursued several degrees and became a doctor in that you know it it's just amazing. It's like, how did she do it? How did she do it? She went to Prairie View A and M University, which was an H, which is still an HBCU in uh, Northwest Houston, Texas. And in 1913, with a two-year certificate, she began teaching in Austin, Texas. Now, it was an all-black elementary school where she taught at. Again, she was carrying on that traditional that tradition that said that. We're educated. Now we have to educate the next generation. And she was one of the first ones. And I thought that, I think that she's amazing for that. You know, of course, uh, Booker T. Washington, we're talking about females, I know, but he was also an educator back in that same time frame. Um, uh, Marva Collins, who I'm sure you've heard of, right? Marva Dolores Collins, she just passed away in 2015. I actually remember doing a story on her for the uh, the Gospel News. I don't recall. I said, wow, she's still living? But she was born in Monroeville, Alabama, uh, to her father, who was a businessman, and he also owned a funeral home. He worked with cattle, and her mother, uh, she grew up in Alabama as well, in a small town near Mobile. Uh, during segregation but Marva went on to also become a marvelous teacher in that era you know and I remember seeing a film of her speaking and talking about what it was like uh, you know back in those days and going to school and having to walk far away because they only had schools that were only for black people and all that Um just an amazing lady. She went to Clark Atlanta University, and she also was a, a great educator of African American children. So, I mean, there's so many. You know, if anyone has the time, they should take time to kind of look through the history of a lot of these great people who 
their purpose in life was to help advance our people, you know, to educate us to go further. And there were other schools set up that were primarily just for people to become nurses and doctors, you know, to work in the field of science. Uh, but a lot of them, their main purpose was to be teachers and to educate the next generation. You know, Nina, since I've been working with you on this project, on this movement, uh-huh. what, I've, mm-hmm. what I've learned from you uh-huh. is that you understand the sense of purpose. And what I mean by that, that sense of purpose, you understand that HBCUs and that HBCU experience is tied to or linked to emotional intelligence. And that emotional intelligence is, it helps build that personal development. It helps give that bi-directional feedback. That feedback that's 360 degrees that's that SWOT analysis. That's that, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your opportunities? What are your trends? What are your threats? And mm-hmm. that's that feedback. That's that reflection. And, and, and as I listen to you speak, I hear, I hear that, that daily or that weekly reflection that HBCUs help give their, their students. And like you said on the last podcast, HBCUs are not just for African-Americans. They are now more diverse because the wealth of knowledge, the wealth of, of interest, the wealth of areas of improvement, right, that HBCUs mm-hmm. offer. You know, in the beginning, they, it was mainly focused on the low-income students. But now it's, it's more of a cultural caring environment, cultural caring type of mm-hmm society that allows access to everyone mm-hmm. and and as I hear you speak I hear those feelings I hear those emotions I hear those responses from you I want to ask oh. you a universal question <laughs> okay you know you know me by now I want to ask you a universal we- question Okay, before you ask me that, I do want to mention another educator who actually does the same thing that I do. Her name is um, Ida Cummings. She was the first African-American kindergarten teacher in the public school system in Baltimore. Okay, Uh, so she does the same thing I do. She wanted to teach the young ones. She wanted to be, you know, the one who she felt like I do, like what you learn here is the lessons and the uh, the things that you learn here in kindergarten and early education are going to carry throughout your entire life. She thought that was very, very important, and that's why she selected to work with the uh, kindergarten age children like myself. So she's another one. So check her out sometime, Ida Cummings. Go ahead. You know what? You threw, you threw me off. Now you threw me off guard. I'm gonna ask you another question because you threw me off guard. So, because uh-huh. we talking about sense of purpose now, and when, yeah. when you mentioned her, the first thing I thought mm-hmm. about was what are some of the myths about HBCUs? What are some of those myths about the HBCU experience that oh, would deter people yeah. from going or attending an HBCU? That you're not going to get a quality education. That is one of the main things that you know the schools aren't as good 
as other schools, and that is a lie. As a matter of fact, they and you can go on any campus of any HBCU and talk to some of the students, and they'll tell you that they never worked this hard in their lives. You know, we had a saying at CSU that if you can make it out of here, you can make it anywhere in the world. <laughs> because they're going to make sure there wasn't no skate ride, and it wasn't easy by any means. It wasn't easy at all. As a matter of fact, you know, I went to another school. You know, I went to other schools during the summer because I was trying to. Uh, I had two majors, and I would go to another school, and I felt like, wow, you know, this is a breeze. You know, <laughs> and I had to go back to CSU in the fall and learn what it was really, what was mm-hmm. really going on. But it definitely was. That was that's one of the main things is that they're not going to get the quality of education that they get someplace else, and that is absolutely not true. Like I said, the mindset is different because what they're doing, they're catering to your culture, and they're catering to your needs, and they are preparing you for the real world the right way. Mm-hmm. And every you think that they're being hard on you, but what they're really doing, and, and you're right. I can do, I can sit in any situation or any, anything with anyone, and it's because of things that I learned there. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a global question. Why should HBCUs, <laughs> and, and by the way, let me, let me park the car right there. Let me say this. First, I want to thank you, because this is the 100th mm-hmm. episode. You are helping me transition from double digits to triple digits, and I love you for that. Uh, you know, you my cousin, so it's like you family, right? And we're gonna celebrate. We're gonna turn it up. But <laughs> before we turn it up, my question for you is: Why should HBCUs focus more on barriers to? And I don't want to offend you, but to uh-huh. female, er, but to female education. And what I mean by that is there there are many obstacles uh, with teaching girls and I'm saying on a global stage I'm not saying just in America I'm not saying just in the United States okay but we're talking Mm -hmm. about profoundly women have been ingrained with this gender bias about why they shouldn't be educated as girls right Mm -hmm. and and, and others are in other countries have Mm -hmm. supported these systems and they said that these girls should focus more on motherhood, right? Yeah. What are some of the ways mm-hmm. that HBCUs are setting and putting together support systems for single mothers, for teen mothers, right? And for women as a whole as it relates to education. How are they supporting how are they supporting women? And how are they supporting mothers? And how are they supporting single mothers? Is that, is that question too too broad to ask you? I know that in some schools, and, and this is still even going on today, if a person is pregnant, they send you home. Uh, it's like you, they don't want a pregnant person walking around campus. Um, and that's still going on even today, you know. Um, I don't know why it's, uh, oh, I think it's, I don't think they can legally like put you out or anything like that, but they kind of 
deter you from living on campus. It's something that they're still even able to do today as far as uh, with someone who may be pregnant. But from what I've seen and from some of the HBCUs, they actually have uh, programs and housing for people who have children. They don't want the fact that you have a child to be the 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 reason that you don't want to pursue an education. They have housing for uh, single moms. They have housing for people who are married, and they have housing for married people. And usually it's if it's not on campus, it's very, very close by. But they have those types of things in place for people so you can't say, well, I can't go to school because, and usually there's like a daycare or uh, there's some type of uh, campus assistance with daycare. So you can't use that as an excuse either. Oh, well, I can't go to school because I don't have anybody to watch my child. And a lot of campuses have that. And I think the HBCUs may even be the only ones doing that. You know, if you don't have any money at other schools, it's like, forget it. You know, you're not going to be able to go. You're not going to be able to get housing for a family. Um, but a lot of them are even doing that. I know they have that at CSU. One of my sorority sisters had a son, and she lived across the street, um, and it just didn't stop her. And they made sure that's not going to be the reason that you can't go to school is because you're pregnant or you have a child because we have things in place to to help you. Now, I think culturally, um, some schools, uh, some countries, even a lot in Africa, don't think it's important for women to know anything because the man, this is a sexist thing that's still going on in a lot of cultures that, you know, the man is a breadwinner and he should know everything and your job is to have babies, raise the kids and stay home. But uh, here in the United States, you know, it's not like that. Uh, women right, outnumber right. the college graduates. Uh, I don't know what the number is, but I know that uh, female African Americans, we outnumber in high school and college graduates and uh, advanced degrees. We do. We outnumber. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, one of my male friends said, you know, that's that's what, you know, it, it, that's a trick, you know, to, to keep the brothers down. But how is that a trick when they have, you know, <laughs> saying um, advantages, well, disadvantages that we do? You think that there's a trick to that, that somebody is setting it up that way? I don't see anybody stopping anybody from going to school who wants to go, who really wants to go. And right, but you know what? All you have to do is make it known that you want to be there, and they'll do everything they right. can to help you be there. So I don't know mm -hmm. if that's a trick. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, what trick is that? But that's what he believes. Oh, well, yeah, that's the way it's set up, you know, to keep the black man down. And, you know, the, they elevate the woman and, you know, keep it so that, you know, the woman is the, the higher earner and has the better career in the education and the man doesn't. And that way the family's in division. That's what <laughs> the family's in division because you know the you know the man always feels like he's less than a man because he doesn't make as much money. You know, remember we talked about this Look before about who yeah, has but the you money. Know what? Let me say this. Let me say this. Let me say this. Let uh -huh. me say this. And, uh -huh. and, and the fellas are gonna be upset with me when I say this, but you know I'm gonna keep it real. Yes. In the African American community, I find now that the women are more disciplined than the men is because they have to be. If you are an African-American woman 
okay, statistically speaking, and you have children, the likelihood of you being single is greater than the likelihood of you being with a partner. And so now you have to be more disciplined because you know you're gonna have to be the breadwinner. You got to take care of that family. You got to, you know, you got to make, you got to bring home the bacon, and then you got to cook the bacon. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the discipline, the discipline is there much more. I feel right now, but I think there's a shift coming. You know what do I mean by that? There's a shift coming when we have uh, strong African American brothers stepping up to the plate. And and, mm-hmm. and doing what they need to do, okay. Mm-hmm. Then then those statistics begin to diminish. I, I can't argue you uh, argue with you on that. But let me ask you another question. In the beginning, I, I heard you talking about how HBCUs um, they have a high touch with educational environments, right? And HBCUs mm-hmm. historically have have done this historically and so the access that HBCUs have for higher education I believe you know if, if, if we begin to kind of go back I, I believe it, it started with helping people with people skills helping people solve problems right and this is what gave them those great thinkers, those great minds, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Spike Lee, right? For this mm-hmm. innovation, for this creativity, for these designs, for these design models, right? These creative thinkers. And these HBCUs, because of the the reflections, that the daily reflections, the feedback that the uh, professors, the teachers gave them, was linked to that whole sense of purpose that you were talking about earlier. And this mm-hmm. sense of purpose, it started with a people that were coming out of slavery and people that were still in yeah. slavery, right? That snuck away. People that mm-hmm. were demoralized, people that were treated less than human, less than humane. Mm-hmm. People treated dogs and cats. I'm talking about household pets were treated with more respect than some humans. Mm-hmm. And so these these characteristics, these emotions that but this I would say the esprit de corps that HBCUs gave our communities it, it's immeasurable. It's limitless. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they have a culturally caring society. How can we, because right now we're talking about saving HBCUs, right? We're talking about Mm -hmm. saving HBCUs. That's what your movement is all about. Saving HBCUs. And so people need to know, okay, why do we need to save them? Well, first, HBCUs HBCUs have helped people express themselves, have, have honed in the strengths of people, have showed interest toward people in areas of improvement, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And has, I believe, has stopped people from comparing themselves to other people and competing with one another and instead joining in as a group cohesively and building together as a team. And that scaffolding 
is so necessary, especially in today, where so many people have been looking at, am I, am I the greatest <laughs> of all times? Am I the best? Am I the best? Instead of, are we the best? What can we do? Because this I society is not working. And so it's those characteristics that HBCUs have been honing in on for years, right? Helping people um, cope with different habits, different behaviors, different weaknesses. Mm-hmm. That goes against that demoralized sense of being. Now, curriculums need to be invested. Curriculums need to be organized with those people skills, with those problem solving skills, with those creative thinking leadership skills. For what? To continue what HBCUs have been doing for centuries, and that's innovation, that's creativity, that's designs, right? And that's that sense of purpose. How can HBCUs curriculum help improve their students' relationships locally, statewide, and society as a whole for fulfilling a more productive life, a more fulfilling life, and not just the United States of America, but in the world. That's my question for you tonight, the loving Miss Communicator. <laughs> I don't even know if I can answer that. I was like, how can they improve it for the world? Well, I don't even know if I can answer that. I can just say that a lot of the schools when they were first started, like I said earlier, were for specific purposes. And that was to re-educate the next generation. You know, so a lot of them were teachers. Uh, I believe it was Lane College that was set up initially to just be for agriculture so that people could be better farmers, could have, you know, own land and know how to cultivate it correctly so they could be profitable in their farming. Um, So a lot of them were set up specifically to just help us to have a better life planning for the future you know we need people who know about agriculture we need teachers we need scientists we need people working in hospitals we need nurses so that's what they originally set up so that our people would have those things at their disposal just like anybody else because if you remember segregation was high and if i can't go to your school then i gotta have my own school if I can't be seen in your hospital, then we have to set up our own hospital. So that was their original purpose was to to fulfill the needs of the African-American community because we were forced out of it everywhere else. So, okay, we need people who know how to make furniture. So we have to send them to carpentry school. My grandfather was a carpenter, an electrician, and a plumber. The school where he went taught all three, he took all three. So he could know how to do that. So he could essentially come into a house and do anything that needed to be done. Work in the construction field. They had schools set up like that. They taught people trades to help us to build homes. They won't sell us houses, so we have to build our own. You know, a white plumber won't come to my neighborhood, so we have to have plumbers. So that's why the schools were set up to fulfill the needs for us to live. You know, for everybody to be able to have everything that we need at our disposal because we were being kept out of it everywhere else. 
they can continue that right now, you know, by educating people to do. We need more of the schools to be more technologically based, you know, computer programmers, um, game programmers, you know, where it's successful. And a lot of them are, you know, adding those things to their curriculums. Now, when I was looking for a master's program, I checked every HBCU in America because I wanted to get my master's from an HBCU, but they didn't have that particular uh, master's program. What was the master's program? It's entertainment business administration. I work in the entertainment mm, field and okay. a lot of things. It's a brand new, only two, two schools at the time in the country have it, only two. That uh-huh. we were talking about at the very beginning of the podcast, competency-based uh-huh. education. There are so many uh-huh. in the African-American community that are, that are pro-entertainment. And that's, I'm saying yeah. comedy. I'm saying uh, uh-huh. dance. I'm, saying fine, I'm just saying fine arts. Fine, all that falls under the umbrella of fine arts. So, exactly. yes, that's but you know so, what? So besides being mm-hmm. on stage, besides being on right. stage, Somebody has to know how to run this business. Somebody has to know the ins and outs of this this business. And that's what this major is. Not me, I can perform doing anything. I can go on stage and do anything. But who's working behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. Who's about the business mm-hmm. of the, the comedy business? Who's about the business of music? Who's about the business? And that's what this major was. And I felt like this is what I needed you know to do and I did I didn't know that it wasn't <laughs> this type of, of curriculum wasn't even offered at hardly any school so I'm one of the first few that have gotten it you know in the whole country and so it's very new and a lot of schools still don't have it let, let me ask you let me ask you a final question you know people that that know you the best can you know tell you you know you know who you are and and they know your personality. I'm not saying HBCUs changed that, mm-hmm. but how did HBCUs strengthen? How do they strengthen your inner man, your your person, your yourself, your personalities? And how did they? How did they help you become more self-aware? Can you describe how? Could you walk with us? Could you share with us how HBCUs help you know more about who you were as a person? Yeah, it didn't really, I say everyone changes because when you, the more education you get, the more powerful you become. And even if you don't really realize it at the time, you know, it's like, I know so much more than I did this year and next year I'm going to know even more. So with that, and you kind of feel a sense of accomplishment, especially if you, like, I, I breezed through high school, you know, middle school pretty much. I mean, I don't remember being all stressed out like, oh, you know, I made good grades. I graduated with honors and all that. But I don't remember <laughs> being all stressed out about in it. So it pretty much helped me to to not develop it, but just to, what, what do you call it? When something is there, but you just, it's, it's on the surface now. It's not hidden, you know? Manifest. Um, yeah, kind of, yeah. Manifest is a good word. It kind of helped me manifest into who I already knew that I was. I just learned how to, to be that person. You know, I learned how to be that person from, you know, 
from, you know, not being afraid to, to speak in public. It's like, if I'm going to be on the radio every day, I need to learn how to speak in public. If I'm going to be on television, right. I need to, to look confident about that. You know, if I'm going to be speaking in, in public places to kids and to girls who, you know, are thinking about coming to college, I need to learn how to do that and do it well. So it kind of helped me develop all the things that I wanted to do. It actually showed me how to actually do them and be them, you know, instead of, you know, being afraid. And that's one thing that you'll lose quick. If you have any kind of fear, it's going to go pretty fast. You know, <laughs> it's going to go. Because <laughs> you realize right away that either <laughs> you're going to be big, bad, black and bold, or, you you know, everything's going to pass you by. Because we're all here and all of us want to be on top. So what are you going to do? So HBCUs <laughs> and HBCUs helped you cultivate who you mm-hmm. were internally. They 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 helps you hone in on who you were as, at its core. Yeah, the lovely Miss Taylor at her core, and we <laughs> we gonna cultivate you. Yeah, yes. and we're gonna cultivate you just like a garden. What? Just like a gardener. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm listening. Now, haven't you noticed anyone who was maybe shy in high school? They went away to school, and this is just any school. Yep. And by the end of their freshman yep. year, they were different. Yep. You know? Yep. If they were kind of quiet mm-hmm. before, not that quiet anymore. You know, because you're going to learn quick. <laughs> like I said, right. stand up for yourself or get walked over. And that's one thing they tell you this is life, too. You're going to either be mm-hmm. the top. You got to He said, if you want to be an architect, you got to be better than the best architect out there. If you're going to be a doctor, you so you're not going to be sheltered. You're, you're, you're not going to be sheltered. Yeah. No, you're going to be covered, no. but not sheltered. Oh, I love that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you Nobody's going to so baby. We're going to develop no. you. We're not going to baby you. We're going to develop who you are. Listen, we out of time. Yeah. We got to listen. This is a movement going on. Nina has started. Nina Taylor started this movement. Okay, I love it. We're gonna keep it going. Hopefully, she's gonna keep using me. <laughs> uh, but this was another impactful night at Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 100. Can you believe that? Uh, we pray that God can bless you many more. That's wonderful. Thank you. We're gonna turn it up. Our host tonight was Nina Taylor. The subject tonight, the topic tonight was curriculum self-awareness of HBCUs. Listen, Mm -hmm. thank you guys so much for supporting us. Good night. Mm